This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, May 29th, on the eve of Memorial Day this year of our Lord 2022. Working this weekend so you can enjoy not having to. Hopefully. We're jam-packed tonight, high atop, just a radiant and beautiful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We got coaches on some hot seats out there. A lot of pressure being felt. We're going to talk about it tonight because there are a number of coaches, especially in the ACC, that really need to get it done this year. Nick Saban says some things sometimes, and we accurately describe it as a warning. Then the casual crowd out there falsely interprets everything Nick Saban says as a warning. Well, it's not. Sometimes he just says normal things like the rest of us. We will differentiate between the two tonight. There are a number of very tight quarterback battles that will directly impact conference championship races this fall. We are going to break down the very latest and give you the latest intel we have on several of those tonight. And her feelings will be hurt. There's no way around this. We are going to give our top five college football programs since 2002, not 2000, 2002. So we're going back a nice, clean, 20-year stretch. And um, it's easy at the top. It's a lot harder than you may think it is when you get down towards four or five. They're watching us in Morgantown, West Virginia tonight. Idaho Falls, Idaho is tuned in. How about... um? Rarotonga, down in the Cook Islands, which is closer to Jupiter than it is Nashville, Tennessee. Also Mobile, Alabama, tuned in. I don't have a lot to tell you before we get into the show. I just have one small favor to ask. We're above 96,000 now on the YouTube channel. Uh, Podcast numbers are surging. Just subscribe. Podcast, YouTube channel, subscribe. And if you have some free time this Memorial Day, and I know a lot of you are going to be around a lot of friends that you don't normally see tomorrow, grab those phones while no one's looking. Find the late kick, subscribe. Put it down and go on about your business. They'll never know and it'll never hurt them, but boy, it sure will help us. Thank you so much. Let's dive into the show tonight because we have some pressure to talk about. Uh, Matt leads us off, a rare question to lead off the show. Colin, here's a little bit better in point here. Question from the peanut gallery out there, which coaches are under the most pressure for the upcoming season? Checking in from Ames, Iowa. Iowa State hopes you can make it back on this year's tour. I do too. I do too. Balls are forever in their court. I do too. So which coaches are under the most pressure? I got different kinds of pressure out there. You know that I think there's competitive pressure and then there's job security pressure where you could actually get fired if you don't do a certain amount of something this year. Well, I want to start with Scott Frost. We've talked a little bit about Nebraska over the last couple of weeks and I want to circle back to Nebraska. It's right there. Everything Scott Frost needs to have a much better season than he has so far is right there. As we talked about the other night, they have done, next to USC, the most work in the transfer portal of any Power 5 program out there. I think the number is 16, the amount of kids they've taken. Their over-under win total is 7.5. They have not made a bowl yet under Scott Frost. 
So the odds makers feel it. The schedule is very favorable. Also, the transfer portal has given them an infusion of talent, not the least of which includes at the quarterback position with Casey Thompson. They just, they need to make a bowl game or hopefully a little bit better than that. It's not a ridiculously high hurdle to clear here. If you're watching on YouTube, you see over there so far, four and eight, five and seven, three and five, three and nine. Those are the records under Scott Frost so far. Now, you need to know also, he's got a reduced buyout after October 1st this year. So while I'm not suggesting they're just counting the hours and minutes and seconds until they can, until they can just punt on this entire experiment, it, it, is, it is a make or break year in many ways for him. And it's there, it's there. If they don't make a bowl or better this year, there, there are no more excuses. Everything you need to have lined up is lined up there. Now, the next guy I'm going to talk about is not under the same kind of pressure. It's a different pressure. It's a more competitive pressure. Jumbo Fisher's got some pressure this year. Job's not on the line. It's not any kind of hot seat talk. I'm not talking about Texas A&M fans demanding that he win the SEC championship, but what I do think that they expect from him is more than eight wins. I think they expect for him to be competitive in every game they play. You know, they cannot have any of these three-plus touchdown drubbings anymore like they had the first couple of times they played Bama, finally beat them last year outright. That's got to be in the past. They've got to improve the passing game significantly. So what A&M fans need to see, and then me also just kind of satelliting around them, what I need to see from them this year is I need to see improvement in the passing game. You know, that 90-second statistic in pass plays of 20 yards or more, I need that to be a distant memory by the time we get to December this year. I need them to be competitive in every game, and I need to see things, at the very least from this year, that tells me that team's a bona fide contender for Atlanta the following year. Now, if they're there a year early, they're there a year early. If they upset Bama and Tuscaloosa, so be it. That would be one of the stories of the season. Better than eight wins, much improved passing game, no double-digit losses to anyone, or maybe like three touchdown losses to anyone. That's what I'm looking for. They play a very, very... Difficult schedule. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on, so I'm not going into great detail on the A&M schedule. But this is not a team anymore that I think is going to be susceptible to those bad losses. They're just too talented. They're too deep. So it would very much surprise me. But again, I'm going to push that a little bit later on because we're going to talk about them more. Brian Harson is the next coach I want to speak about. And producer Jesse and I are just lounging about the office a little while ago, and all of a sudden... Up pops a tweet from Brian Harson. This is the Auburn head coach. For those of you unfamiliar, guy started a new podcast. I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but then again, I think Brian Harson's done a lot of things right over the past couple of months. You may say to me, how is that possible? I haven't played a game. I know that. But if we are to well document this, then we understand all the turmoil that was around that program. A lot of folks thought he may not even be the head coach there. Well, he still is. And then they go through spring. Now, you know, when we're talking about job security here, this is an unusual situation at the very least. Even though he's only a year in and this wouldn't make sense at many other places, it's Auburn. And so at Auburn, you know you got some external forces maybe working against you. Probably no maybe to it. It's just working against you. They also, much like pretty much everyone in the SEC West, play one of the toughest schedules in the country. But also, they need to recruit better. I think they had around the 20th ranked class this past cycle. They have to be better than that. Uh, we've talked about this before. You're not going to out-scheme and out-develop Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban 
every week. You got to play them every year. You got to play Kirby every year, at least until they change your, your scheduling rotation. So I'm saying that to say, I'm not sure what the number is. I think we'll speak about this more in the summer. I'm not sure there's a magical eight win and you're safe, seven wins and you're out of here sort of situation right now. But I will say this, just observationally, I think Brian Harson knows the score. I think he knows what time it is because this is not a guy who is world renowned for his interpersonal communication skills. Doesn't really traffic in the marketing of himself very often. Well, that's in the past now because about the past month and a half, He's been out on the road. He's been all over the Southeast. He's been meeting with Auburn fans, been going to the speaking engagements. And then today, lo and behold, the Brian Harson podcast, that's not the actual name of it. It had a pretty catchy name. Huddle with Harse, I think is the name. So I'm going to give it a listen over the next couple of days. And I'm very interested in that. Anyway, I'm saying all that to tell you, I think he gets it. Whatever the knocks are against him that he believes he can control, he's actively working on. And I wish he'd do a lot more of it because I don't think the guy's half bad in a public setting. I actually think he's pretty good. I hope he does more of it. All right, then there's this entire like chunk of the ACC that warrants consideration right here. I'm gonna start with Mike Norvell because I don't think he's on the kind of hot seat, so to speak, that some of these other guys are. I think Mike Norvell's a little bit like Jimbo in the SEC. A&M's a better program than Florida State is right now. What I'm saying is I don't think Norvell is in as much job security problems or job security issues right now as, as, as some of these other guys. But what I do think is he's got that competitive pressure too. He's got a situation where they came in, they had the first year in the COVID year and they were three and six. They had second year last year, they were five and seven. And that fan base is not unreasonable right now. Florida State fans want seven, eight wins. Uh, you know, some of them w would really stretch and go nine, but most of them are looking at seven or eight wins. That is doable. It, they've had two good portal halls. That's doable. But again, you can't be dropping games that are inexplicable like we've seen over the past couple of years with Florida State. The other thing to just keep in mind here, and I know it's not excuse-making season, but I'm going to make one for them. You got to understand about recruiting. When they came in, obviously they're a new staff and, and you've got COVID measures in place. So you can't go on the road. Your, your assistant coaches can't get on the road. That didn't all of a sudden just disappear. Like a portion of last year, they also couldn't get on the road. So some of their coaches now, and any of these new staffs that came in in 2020, you're getting a first full cycle out on the road now. That's hard. It's hard to get your recruiting legs under you when you were at that kind of disadvantage. And you could rightfully say, well, Josh, that was the same for every staff. That's true, friends, but some of those staffs had already been there in 2017, 18, and 19 and had two or three years worth of evals, film, in-person contact with players and their coaching staffs at the high school level and their parents and their aunts and uncles and guidance counselors. Uh, they had none of that at Florida State. Uh, the second one in the ACC is Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins has nine wins in three seasons at Georgia Tech. There were some people who thought he would not be back this past year. I felt like he would get at least one more year and he did. Uh, they lost by all accounts, their best player in Jameer Gibbs to the transfer portal had a number of guys overturned on the staff. I'll tell you what it feels like there right now. If you've ever played Tetris and the blocks start stacking up for you and you get near the top, you know how your attitude and your demeanor changes and you just go into what I call Tetris panic mode. And that is, 
no longer do you have five or six seconds to decide where to put the block. You're just frantically trying to go left, right, and you're trying to anticipate, and then you're simultaneously looking over at the other cell to see what the next blocks are gonna be. And sometimes it pays off and you get lucky and you press the buttons the right way and you get yourself back down and two minutes later you're saying, man, I can't believe that I made it through that. But sometimes you don't make it through it. And it feels like a lot of the moves being made at Georgia Tech right now are sort of the Tetris panic variety and hopefully for them it works out. It's just that I think everyone there gets, this is the year. This is the make or break year at Georgia Tech. Dino Babers at Syracuse is the same way. Dino Babers, in 2017, he beat Clemson. Everyone remembers that upset. And he went four and eight that year. Then they popped a 10-win season on you the following year, which it's hard to have a recollection of, but since then it's been downhill. It's been five and seven, one and 10, five and seven. They're gonna make a bowl. The AD up there has been pretty direct about that. They got to make a bowl. And Scott Satterfield at Louisville also, I don't think has won a portion of the fan base over since he outright interviewed for the South Carolina job a couple of years ago, didn't get it, and then had to write an apology letter to the fan base. Uh, he's 18 and 18 in three seasons there, though. So Mike Norvell, Jeff Collins, Dino Babers, Scott Satterfield, that's a lot of the ACC to keep an eye on. But there's a lot of, a lot of job security metrics to keep an eye on all across the country this year. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Academy Sports and Outdoors has not asked me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. You need to know, really, the expanse and variety that you can get there. I had one of you the other day send me a receipt, and on the receipt, it had all the ingredients for a crawfish boil. You would expect, what is this? Is this Publix? Is this, is this Piggly Wiggly, for those of you down south? Nope. One of our friends, one of our distinguished Pate State alumni, had gone to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And you know why he went there? Because he heard me say on this very program, you can essentially get all of your ingredients for life, not just outdoor sporting goods at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Well, he did all the ingredients needed for the old crawfish boil. As it turns out, they found right at Academy Sports and Outdoors. I know, because I got the picture of the receipt. Now, if you're going camping, they got you covered. If you're going biking, if you've got a seven-on-seven -seven football tournament coming up, Baseball, any sport, tennis, you, you, they got you covered. But there's so much more they have there. So it's worth your while, I promise you. It's worth your while to head into Academy Sports and Outdoors if you got a couple of extra minutes one day. Or go to academy.com. Because not only are you going to find a wide variety of the supplies that people like us use every day, but also they are our exclusive sponsor on the show. So you notice how inflation's hitting everyone. 
except us. Late kick, still free of charge. We've maintained that same flat rate. How have we done it? Not by federal stimulus money. It's been by Academy Sports and Outdoors. That's, um, you know, that was powerful. It was a little more powerful than I expected it to be when it came out. Academy Sports and Outdoors. There for us, so be there for them. Okay, we are on chapter 12. This is like... Um, this is like the Iliad and the Odyssey. This is like some of, the, some of the Greek mythology they used to force me to read back in third grade. Bold Predictions, version 12. We got five more here tonight. The only rules are you have to make these predictions and you have to claim that you would bet your own money on these. First up, something that's near and dear to my heart. So uh, when I said feelings could get hurt tonight, I included me in that hypothetical. Arkansas, Hunter leads us off. Arkansas will finish 10-2 and two or better. I put this at an 8 on the boldness scale, which automatically would draw a response from a lot of Arkansas fans. I thought you thought we were going to be good this year. Oh, I do. I do. But this is college football, so it's all about schedule. And I ask you, if I were the worst enemy of Arkansas and someone gave me schedule-making ability, what would I do any different than the actual schedule they have made for themselves? It's total and complete brutality. It's like if I were to smash a thousand glass bottles on concrete and then take your shoes from you and say, here, walk to me, that is Arkansas schedule. You know they play in the SEC West. I don't even need to tell you they play Bama or LSU or Ole Miss or Texas A&M. You know they've got all that already. That's hard enough. But then they just decided to bring Cincinnati in town. They decide to go to Provo, Utah to play Brigham Young. They got Liberty coming in there. Producer Jesse, AKA Stats and Info, gave me this little tidbit. Their out of conference opponents combined to go 39 and 13 last year. Here's how brutal their schedule is. They avoid the top four teams in the eyes of Vegas in the SEC East. And I still think they may play the toughest schedule in the Southeastern Conference when you consider the out of conference slate. So, I don't know how we're going to confidently say that they're winning 10 games or more. There is certainly a path here, but a lot of things have to go right. I'm just talking about health-related issues. A lot of things have to go right. Their over-under win total is seven. And so I asked an odds-making buddy earlier today, I texted him and said, if I were to put them in the ACC, what's their over-under win total? He speculated either nine or nine and a half. Don't change a thing about the team. Just put them in another Power 5 conference. That's how much different their perception would be nationally. And so, man, they got it to do. They got it to do. I will tell you this. Everything, well, not everything. That's a lie. A lot hinges on that Cincinnati game in week one. Because I think everyone's looking at that game and they're saying, oh, that's a good test. But no one's predicting Cincinnati to win the game. They lost nine guys to the NFL draft. They are coming off a banner year for the program. They're going to Fayetteville week one. No way they win that game. It'll be a good hard-fought game, and they won't win that game. Got to win that one if you're Arkansas. I mean, look at the stretch there. They've got, they got A&M and Alabama back-to-back. -back. And then there's that road game in Starkville on the 8th. Look at what it's sandwiched between. It's between games back-to-back -back against maybe the two most physical teams outside of Georgia, two of the most physical teams in the conference this year in A&M and Bama, and then they go to Brigham Young. There's no bye in between this. It's all back to back to back to back. So 10 and 2 is going to be tough there. I gave that an 8 on the boldness scale. Next up, now this one's interesting. This one made us dig a little bit today. Austin said there will be a Power 5 conference champion that is currently at 8.5 wins or less. 
in the over-under betting market. And he's from Lexington, Kentucky. I wonder who he's talking about, by the way. On first glance, how wild does this sound to you? The Vegas numbers for over-under win totals, he is telling us, Austin's telling us, there's going to be a team whose over-under win total is 8.5 or less that's going to win a conference title. That sounds pretty wild, right? Well, I got something wild for you. Wildest stat of the night, courtesy of Stats and Info, a.k.a. producer Jesse. Take every Power 5 conference title game last year. Of the 10 teams that played for a conference championship, seven of them had a preseason over-under win total of 8.5 or less. It gets better. Four of the five conference champion winners had preseason win totals of 8.5 or less. It happened all over the place last year. It was nearly a clean sweep. The only one, what was Alabama in the SEC, the only one that had a preseason win total of over 8.5 that actually won a conference was Alabama. So, is that the norm? Because then producer Jesse tells me, hey, hey, don't get used to it, though. Because the year before, it was nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. So, in the ACC, that's where I want to look first. Because if we're going to get a Power 5 conference champ that has a preseason win total of 8.5 or less, the ACC by far gives you your best shot. Because there's only one ACC team that even has a preseason win total of over 8.5 wins. And that's Clemson. If you're watching on YouTube right now, we're showing you. There's this log jam in the eight and a half to nine range. Pitt, Miami, Wake Forest, and NC State all have over under win totals of eight and a half. And then you got North Carolina at seven and a half. So if it's not Clemson, then we hit right here because automatically, doesn't matter who it is, we would hit. But also, if you look in the Big 12, a team like Baylor, who won the Big 12 last year, Baylor does not have a win total over eight and a half. So Baylor could easily be in the running here. There are options, but I think by far my eyes go to Baylor and my eyes go to the entirety of the ACC because if Clemson does not come through, if Clemson does not rebound and reassert themselves in dominant ACC fashion, it will be the ACC. Next up, this one would be a long shot. I put a very, very high boldness rating on this. The last one was five, by the way. I said that was a five on the boldness scale. Adam said a and going to struggle, barely even become bowl eligible. This is a 9.5 on the boldness scale. This is just borderline out of the realm of possibility at this point. Having the kind of raw talent that A&M does does not guarantee you a national title or a conference title or anything like that. But unless you are a complete moron, it does guarantee you that you will not have disaster seasons. You cannot be as talented as they are and as deep as they are and be missing out on bowl game. That just doesn't happen. That's not real world. So we're clearly predicting in this tweet, A&M's a six-win team. He said you barely make a bowl. So I'm saying that means A&M goes six and six, right? What has to happen there? Well, last year they lost their quarterback and still went eight and four. So this year I got that quarterback and I got another one in Max Johnson. So I got two viable quarterbacks. I got a better overall team. I've, I've, I've upgraded almost everywhere offensively. I'm loaded defensively. My lines of scrimmage look really good, and I'm supposed to be dropping two games here somehow. I don't see that, but if I were to just entertain the idea, here's how I'm going to split the schedule. They play Miami in week three, and they got Arkansas and Dallas the next week, and then they go to Bama a couple of weeks after that. Even if they lose two out of those games, if, if they lose one of Miami and Arkansas and they lose to Bama, they're already a two-loss team. 
they still have to lose four more games out of South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, and LSU. I just don't see that. And also, Ole Miss, Florida, and LSU are at home. I don't see that. And so they certainly will be favored in most of these games. I just I think it's a disaster-proof roster. Could they could they drop four games or three games? Could they be eight and four, nine and three? Absolutely. Uh, nine and three, I don't think would be a terrible year for them. But six and six, I absolutely don't see that happening. Next up, we're going back to the Power Five conference level here. This one's good too. Sammy said, for the second time ever, we will have five different outright Power Five conference champs than we did the year before. Watching from Houston, Texas, or Bristol, Oklahoma, depending on when the show airs. Just to be safe, we're going to shout out both towns. Every Power Five conference having a different champion than the previous year. How realistic is this? Well, I'm looking and I immediately have my eyes go to the SEC. Because the SEC is probably your biggest hurdle here. Bama won the SEC. I know this comes as a surprise to some people. Because you remember Georgia winning the national title. They did fall to Bama. So we are technically talking about conference champions here. Bama was the SEC champion last year. They are the current odds-on favorite to win the conference again this year. So Bama could ruin this all before we even look past the SEC. But if Georgia were to be there or if Bama gets upset by A&M or Ole Miss or someone in the West, if the SEC is able to produce a different champion, then we're in business. Because Pitt won the ACC last year. They are not the favorite to win the conference this year. So Clemson or any of a number of the other teams that we talked about a little while ago, they could easily give you a different ACC champion. In the Big Ten, Michigan won it last year. Certainly Ohio State is the overwhelming favorite to win that conference this year. If not the Buckeyes, you've got Wisconsin, you've got Penn State. So there are a number of viable candidates that could knock off Michigan. In the Big 12, Baylor won it last year. Yeah, they're the fourth odds-on favorite to win the Big 12 this year. So Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State could all have a lot to say about this. There's a very, very viable path to getting a different Big 12 champion. But the SEC is in the way, and the Pac-12 could be in the way. Because Utah won the Pac-12 last year, and Utah, along with USC, are co-favorites right now to win the Pac-12. All of these are updated odds from Caesar Sportsbook. So it's Utah, USC, Oregon, kind of a three-way dance near the top there. I put this at a seven. I'm, I, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to have many different conference champs, but going five for five is a little tough. So I gave that a seven. And then this last one is an extremely long shot. Jesse tempted me to put a 10 out of 10 on the boldness scale here. Rand said Auburn's going to have two thousand-yard rushers again for the first time since, he said 17, but in reality, it's all the way like back in 2013, I think. This is a 9.98 on the boldness scale. This is not gonna happen. One of them is a certainty to be a 1,000 yard caliber back. Tank Bigsby, no question about him. If he's durable enough to last the whole season, yeah, he's in that conversation. He, he was like an 1,100 yard guy last year. So yes, we've got one but that's not the chore here. The chore is finding the second one. Jaquez Hunter is a very good back, but just to give you an idea of how far he would still have to go, last year he put up 593 yards total on, what, uh, 89 carries. Okay, so he was really good on yards per carry average. Jaquez Hunter had 6.8 yards per carry last year. To give you an idea of how much added workload he would need at that yards per carry rate to hit 1,000, he would need another 58 carries 
to put himself in position to be a 1,000-yard rusher. They also have Demari Austin coming in this year, a true freshman, but one that they figure will insert himself into the mix here. So what I see with Auburn is I see Tank Bigsby being a feature back, and then I see those two guys spelling him, but neither of them is going to even approach the amount of carries that it takes to get close to 1,000 yards. So I say that's like a 9-9-9 out of 10. That's really close. Also, here's a fun little fact. It's not just an Auburn thing. Out of every single Power 5 team last year, not a single one of them had 2,000-yard rushers. Now, that's noteworthy, but it's also a trend in college football in general. Not a single Power 5 team had 2,000-yard rushers last year. So it's not disrespectful to say I don't think Auburn's going to do it. You could have yourself a nice little prop bet and say maybe no team's going to have a, thousand yard, a couple of 1,000-yard rushers again. So good, bold predictions there. What do we have, an 8, a 5, a 9, a 7, and a 9.99? That, that averages out to one of the boldest bold prediction segments that we've had. They're watching us in Sepulpa, Oklahoma tonight. They're tuned in in Kodiak, Alaska. How about Medfield, Massachusetts, and Philadelphia, Mississippi? Thank you guys so much for being tuned in wherever you are. Numbers are through the roof, through the roof. In May, no offseason. Thank you so much. Uh, let's get to some more questions here. I, I got to get to this Nick Saban one. This one right here, it made me, it made me laugh a little bit because I just had a conversation about this with someone the other day. Straight from Harlem, New York, do you think the Texas A&M NIL debacle was Nick Saban sending another warning to college football? No. At least not in the classical sense, okay? Maybe he was sending a warning, not in the classical sense. For a while, Nick Saban, when he would make these profound statements on the state of the sport, he would be talking about tempo-based offenses, or he would be talking about the transfer portal, or he would be talking about expanding the playoff. There were a lot of things that he has said in the past that people accurately put the warning label on. He's warning you. He's not scared. You know, he's not offended as much as he's telling you, if that's the way you want college football, then I will respond accordingly and you're not going to like the result. That's the classic old Nick Saban warning. I got to tell you though, and this is a little bit of breaking news. I don't think anyone else has reported this. Not everything that comes out of Nick Saban's mouth is a warning to college football. Sometimes he just says things. And I've given you my take, and it's pretty informed on this particular matter. I don't even think he knew he was being recorded when he did that in Birmingham last week. I think he believed he was in a closed setting long after media had been swept out of the room and he was talking with his people. And if you've ever been in those settings, I've been in a number of them, Nick Saban didn't really say anything that was all that out of the realm of what you would hear a lot of other coaches do. It's just, it's the way that stuff happens. It's kind of like a little mini pep rally, uh, but there's not a pom-pom. It's just, you're waving a pom-pom through words that come out of your mouth. Well, anyway, I say all that to say, no, I don't think he was sending a message to college football because I don't even think he knew he was talking to college football on that particular night. Now, since then, he apologized for calling people out directly, but he said, I'm not backing off the general message. And the general message was, yeah, I think he was wanting to deliver a warning in a much more general sense, but I don't think it's the same kind of warning. Like he said, is this what we want college football to be? Referring to offenses several years ago. That was just telling you, if you want it to be that way, I'm going to do it better than you're doing it. This kind of warning, if you want to call it that, is I think a warning directed at the entirety of college football. And I think whether you agree with him or not, totally beside the point, 
relative to the fact that I think he generally has concern about the direction of the game right now. He's not alone. He's not the only person who's spoken like this. So you can either believe all these folks are hypocrites and they're all just looking out for their own self-interest, blah, blah, blah. Or you can think the guy's already got seven national championships and more money than he knows what to do with and his legacy's been secured for a long time. Maybe there is some authenticity in the concern he has. Just maybe. I say the same thing about Dabo. I don't really care what you think about him. Don't care if you love him or hate him. But there's authenticity in the concern they have. So if there's a warning on what Nick Saban is saying, it's not the old-fashioned, oh, if this is what you want college football to be, I'm going to burn it down in your way instead of the old way I did. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. So no, I did not take it as the same kind of warning that we've heard from him in the past. Uh, next up. This is one to pay attention to. This is one that's going to continue to evolve. Randy didn't hear Novell. <laughs> I know that a lot of you don't watch South Park. But if you have seen South Park in the past, and you're looking at the name of the tweeter here, Randy didn't hear Nobel, that is very funny. I know I just mildly chuckled, but I'm laughing hard on the inside. So Randy, we're just going to keep it short. Randy said, which quarterback battles are too close for you to make a call on right now? Also, how far can you throw a football? Uh, the answer to the second one is it depends on altitude and time of year. The answer to the first is a little more lengthy. So let's dive in here. Uh, let's go to Texas A&M. So Texas A&M, and this is just quarterback battles that I think are still up in the air. I don't think there's an answer right now. Haynes King is rehabbed. He's back from injury, but Max Johnson is in the mix there. I kind of went back and forth just when I spoke to people during the spring about who I thought was leading. And the answer is I don't think there is a solid leader in the clubhouse. I had a little bit better feel about Max Johnson, just me personally, when they came out of spring. I don't think that's a reflection of what the entire staff feels or anything like that. But I think they're in a good position. I don't think any of them are turned off by where they are because they know they got two options. This is not a situation where you're choosing from the lesser of two evils. Jimbo Fisher's confident he can win with both those guys. So, you know, I'm not going to keep reiterating that 92nd in yards in passing him 20 yards or more. That's just, that's got to improve. And I think he believes he's got two guys that can do it. So A&M's one of them. Stay in the SEC West, LSU, where Mike Johnson came from. That's another one. Jaden Daniels came in there through the transfer portal from Arizona State. Some people, I was talking to someone today, still believe that he will ultimately be the starter. Okay, I'm not there right now. I think it's either a Miles Brennan or a Garrett Nussmeyer deal. Ultimately, that's where I think it's going to go. Because I think poise, precision, accuracy, decision-making, I think they're going to end up having the edges in enough of those categories over Jaden Daniels. Having said that, I don't think it's decided right now. This is going to be another one to watch. I, I think Garrett Nussmeyer is ultimately a guy who has a higher ceiling than anyone else in their quarterback room right now. But is he there yet? That will be the question they have to answer in fall camp. Uh, North Carolina is a place to keep an eye on. I know a lot of you have written them off, but I haven't. And so quarterback here is undecided. I think some people around Chapel Hill may have expected Drake May to just take the job in spring. Most people around the program still ultimately expect him to. I expect him to. But Jacoby Criswell could not care less about what any of you think, including me, because he's still battling for the job. And uh, they, they each have their own skill sets. So it's not like, you know, a mirror image of each other and let's just, who cares, flip a coin. That's not the situation there. I think ultimately Drake May is going to be that guy. But, you know, I remember 
oh, who was that? I remember a few years ago, it was at the very dawn of the Jalen Hurts era at Alabama. And they had gone through the entirety of spring and summer and fall camp and Blake Barnett was a five-star West Coast kid and everybody was talking about Jalen Hurts, but they were speaking about him in the same context we're talking about uh, Criswell right now. It was Jalen Hurts is going to be good in the future, but ultimately, I mean, Blake Barnett's going to win that job. Why? Because he's a former highly rated kid. He fit the more classical mold of what an Alabama quarterback had been. And he took the field against USC to start the season. And he was rattled. And Jalen Hurts got a shot. And he never relinquished the job. The reason I bring that up is because I don't know how this is going to play out. But I know a lot of people are going to default to Drake May. I guess I need to point that way. That guy. As am I right now. But just because you're going to hear Drake May's name a thousand times over the summer does not mean every time you hear his name, he gains that much more of a margin on Jacoby Criswell. doesn't matter if you say his name a billion times. It's still neck and neck. So I'm telling you, two or three series in their opening game will be more valuable than any preview magazine season or any segment we do on this show because this isn't football. Nothing's happening right now. We're just talking in, in lieu of having football in front of us. This stuff could change on a dime. That's how close some of these races are. So this one right here is one in particular I'm keeping an eye on. Next up is Auburn. I did not leave spring overly confident that they have a guy they can just definitively look at and say, he's going to lead us. That, that's going to be a guy that we can win with. But they're only out of spring. They have not gone through fall camp yet. Zach Calzada has not even really gotten to work himself back into the rotation because he's coming off injury. So maybe Zach Calzada is that guy. Robbie Ashford just got on campus like 10 minutes ago. Just went through spring. Maybe he's still that guy. Uh, TJ Finley, they know for better or for worse what they have in him. I have no clue which direction this is going to go. This is probably the most up-in-the-air quarterback battle of all of them that we're talking about. I have no clue which direction this one's going to go. I just know that whoever wins that job is going to have to come uh, a pretty good ways before you're watching Auburn and you're saying, they got quarterback figured out now. If the rest of these pieces fall into place, they'll be pretty good. There's a little ways to go before they can say that down there. Some other teams you just keep an eye on because I could talk about this all night. Clemson? DJ, Dabo Swinney sounds very confident. Are we as confident in DJ Uyangalale as Dabo Swinney? I'm not yet. He knows more than I do about his program. Michigan, Cade McNamara, JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy did not have the surge in spring that some people expected. Doesn't mean anything because uh, they're both of them are going to play. So Michigan's got a very workable first month of the season. So you'll see both of them. I think that's a that's a, a quarterback battle that's pretty unique in that Jim Harbaugh does not have to have it figured out by week one. He'd like to, maybe he even plans to. They are one of the teams that can afford to take a battle into the season and probably not risk an unexpected result. Notre Dame, uh, Tyler Butner and Drew Pine. Uh, Tyler Butner is thought to eventually be the favorite there. Some injury concern with him, but overall, I just want to know the level of play I'm going to get from him. Uh, Jackson Dart and Luke Altmaier at Ole Miss, still neck and neck. So kind of the same way with North Carolina and Drake May. You're going to hear people assume Jackson Dart's going to take the job. I, I do too. I assume he will. Has not happened yet, though. Still got time. Hasn't happened yet. At Texas, 
I'm not talking about them as much as some other folks are, because even though it wasn't decided in spring, it will be decided. I think that's going to be Quinn Ewer's job. It will just take a couple of weeks in the fall, but I, I don't think if you had truth serum injected into that coaching staff, they believe that's going to be a battle until week one. I don't think they believe that. So those are some quarterback battles to keep an eye on. You've got to stay updated on that. I know it's only one position, but it is the position. You've got to stay up to date on that. Next up, a very interesting question that I will give like a trick answer to. Think about models. Think about ways to win a game. So Barrett, listener from Melissa, Texas. What programs do you see attempting to replicate Georgia's defensive football focus in order to win? Which do you think will be successful? I guess another way to put it would be, which programs should attempt that approach? Keep up the good work. I appreciate that. My answer is none. I don't think anyone's going to try it. I don't even think Kirby Smart plans on trying to exactly duplicate the formula they just used. To be clear, Georgia just earned a national championship and they'll remember it for all eternity. Good for them. I was there. I was standing right there on the field when it happened. And that was, that was a generational occurrence, especially if you're like me. I grew up in Georgia. So I know the significance of that. But to talk about a model or a blueprint, that team was very special. I don't think I need to tell anyone that. Five first-round draft picks, N'Kobe Dean inexplicably not among that group, even though he may have been one of, if not the best defensive players. Here's what you have to do. Because if you want to use that model, if you're outside of Athens, Georgia, you watched them, and you say, you know what, I want to do it Georgia's way. All you got to do is go find you about half a dozen first-round caliber defensive players and... Then you got to have several more that will eventually be first rounders on the depth chart behind them. That's point one. Point two is you have to have quarterback figured out. But what do I mean by that? See, because I think a lot of folks are going to look back on 2021 with revisionist history and say that Kirby Smart knew what he was doing with Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett didn't even start the season at quarterback. That wasn't the plan. JT Daniels started against Clemson. JT Daniels ended up having injury and Stetson Bennett stepped in and then secured his legacy for all eternity too because he made the most of an opportunity. He did exactly what they needed him to do. He did things that I never thought he would be capable of doing. I never thought Stetson Bennett, I think I said it on the show several times, I never thought Stetson Bennett would be able to maintain a level, just a minimum baseline level of performance they needed to win a title. I was wrong. He did maintain that. Is that the model someone else is going to be able to use going forward? I don't know about that. And then you also need to remember this. Even with all that talent defensively, we saw what happened when it faced elite quarterback play and elite wide receiver play in the SEC championship game. They got run. They atoned for it in the national championship game. A lot of people want to talk about injuries at wide receiver for Bama. Point being, they won the title. But what I'm saying is, think about the needle they had to thread. Think about how much had to go right there. So you can either try and do it like that, or you can say, let's just go get a bunch of racehorse wide receivers. Let's, let's go get us an elite quarterback. And I include Kirby Smart there. Kirby Smart just went through what he went through, and he found out how tough it is to win a national championship. But I guarantee you, when Kirby Smart looks at the team he just had, but he envisions the future of Georgia football, I guarantee you he plans on being far more potent offensively. I guarantee you he plans on having a lot more firepower offensively. And if Kirby Smart, let's just say in 2025, they win the title that year. Maybe they won more between now and then. But let's just safely look down the road to 2025. So two or three recruiting classes from now. Whatever Georgia football looks like in 2025, 
I will almost certainly be willing to guarantee you offensively, it is night and day different from what they were in this past year because they can be that. It, they're capable. They don't, have to, they don't have to do it one way. They can do it any way they want to. It's kind of like how Saban evolved. Okay, Kirby Smart, he has the resources and the advantage to be able to evolve the program however he wants to. I don't think he wants to rely on that specific set of ingredients always coming together. I think he wants to remove a lot of the margin for error. I think he wants to have a lot of Jamison Williams on his team. I think he wants to have a Bryce Young on his team. Makes things a whole lot easier. Next up, this is where the feelers are going to get hurt. Let me settle in. Okay, I, it's going to go bad. Um, one of you asked an innocent question, but there will be casualties. Here we go. Daniel said, I turned 20 last month, so my college football memory only goes back to the 2011 season when LSU lost the title. Programs don't win championships, teams do. So what have been the top five programs of the last 20 years? Waynesboro, Virginia. Number one's easy. It can almost fool you into thinking two through five are also that easy. They're not. Okay, so program over team. Please maintain your focus here. Program over team. What are we valuing? Well, you can choose to value national titles. You can choose to value winning percentage, conference titles, double-digit win seasons. I just told producer Jesse, stats and info. I said, Jesse, take all of it, throw it in a blender, and just pour me out the best five cups we can find. Here's how we ended up shaking these out. Alabama's number one. Now, this one's easy. They got six national titles. In this time span, they've got eight conference titles, 16 double-digit win seasons. Looks like a typo, but it's not. And the winning percentage is in the 80 percentile. And also, there are some sketchy years mixed in on the very, very front end of this. This is not all Nick Saban. He's only been there since 07, and that was a seven-win season, by the way. He's just been so good since then, it hasn't mattered. So Bama's number one. You know who I think the number two program in the last 20 years is? The LSU Tigers. You know why? Because they've won three national championships with three different coaches, and they've had the unenviable task of existing in the same division as Bama the entire time. So they got more national titles in this span than anyone else, and they've been bumping heads with Nick Saban at the peak of his dynasty the entire time. LSU's been really, really good. LSU's pumped the NFL full of draft picks, too. LSU's won a lot of games, too. They've had a couple of down years, but you know what else they've had? They've had a string of really, really good years that you don't remember because they had to play Bama. And everyone remembers that, I think it was like eight or nine year in a row streak that Saban had against Les Miles and the beginning of Ed Orgeron's tenure, which wasn't all that long. You, you go back and watch the games. They're like, it's one possession classic after one possession classic. So LSU's been very, very good. They've been extremely good. They've got three national titles in that span. They've got four conference titles, uh, 10 double-digit win seasons. I take into account they won three titles with three different coaches, and they've done it in the division Saban's in. Does anyone else think they would have had more success? Take, I don't care. Any other program we're about to go and talk about. You park them in Baton Rouge in the SEC West with Nick Saban. Who's, who else is winning three titles? I know Saban won one of them, but the other two? Look, who, who's winning those? I don't think anyone else is. So I'm putting LSU number two. Uh, Ohio State is my number three program over the last 20 years. Look at that winning percentage, 84.9. At this point, I know what's being said in the chat. I know what's being said in the comment section. 
Well, they only got that high winning percentage because they're in the Big Ten and they've got a weak schedule. The Big Ten is the second toughest conference in college football. They have been for a large chunk of this 20-year stretch. And you know what I don't do? I don't punish Ohio State because they don't have to play Ohio State. You notice that? It's so common sense, but people overlook this. Ohio State's schedule always looks softer than everyone else in the Big Ten because they can't play themselves. You don't get punished for that. That's a compliment. And so they've got the insane winning percentage. They've also got the national championship under Urban Meyer back in 14. They got another one under Jim Tressel. They're there every year. They, they had that one hiccup year and then they were right back again. So they're there every year. NFL draft speaks for itself. Recruiting speaks for itself. It's been a very, very stable program. They got 11 conference titles. They're winning more than a conference title every other year over the past two decades, 17 double-digit win seasons. So yeah, Ohio State. You could make the argument for them being number two. I would not argue if you put them above LSU. I told you why I value LSU more. Number four is the Clemson Tigers. Some of you I asked earlier had them all the way up at number two. I put them at number four. They have seven, I believe seven conference titles in this time frame. It's important to remember they had a really, really good solid run under Tommy Bowden before he was fired. They were having a really good solid run there. So they were not garbage before that. They tailed off towards the end a little bit, but they've got a winning percentage right there, kind of where LSU has been. They've got two national championships. They got seven conference titles, 11 double digit win seasons. But you know why I'm putting them as high as I'm putting them? Those two national championships were won against Nick Saban. So they also butted heads with the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport, led by the greatest coach in the history of the sport, and they knocked him out twice. I give a lot of credit for that. I don't think, I mean, all national championships are equal in terms of the, the column, you know, on the screen there, but some of them are tougher to win than others. And you're doing it, if you're getting two of them in that era, that's tough to do. And they also, you know, they've kind of dominated a conference over there that should never be dominated to this degree, but it has. That, that record's 267, by the way, the last 20 years. So I put Clemson at number four. This number five spot, I went back and forth. Jesse, I think I went back and forth three or four times over like a five-minute span. So I trust me, I know the arguments for a number of programs here. I put Oklahoma at number five. They edged out Georgia by the, the width of a sheet of paper here. They've got them edged, okay? So I'm basically just doing a resume comparison here of Oklahoma and Georgia. They've got more double-digit win seasons. Uh, they've got more conference championships. If you care about such things, they've also got four Heismans during this time frame. I know the rebuttal. The rebuttal is, if we're Georgia, well, we don't care about Heismans. Uh, secondly, they played in the pinball conference for a long time. Thirdly, they were the only legitimate alpha in that conference for a long time. Whereas we've been playing in the SEC, and you just said you give credit for having to play around Nick Saban, so why not us? I get all that. Oh, by the way, there was the head-to-head -head in 2017. Yeah, I get all that. So as you can clearly see, even though I'm touting Oklahoma, I've made a really good argument for Georgia. Fractions of an inch, either way. So if you want to call it a tie for fifth, that's fine, but I did not take the coward's way out. I am putting Oklahoma at five, but there is a justifiable argument both ways there. Uh, Florida had a shot here, but Florida had too much of a lull 
Whereas some of these other programs, they have not really had lulls. So I went Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. I saw some USC love. I saw some Miami love. The lulls are too big for me. Can't have it. Uh, lastly, is this our last question? Yeah, this is our last question. Um, th this was this is fun. So, so Robert, you know, I wasn't going to put Robert's question in the show tonight, but one of our peers hated on him for using the word ancillary. So I'm going to put Robert's question in the show. From, uh, what is that, Middleothian? From Middleothian, Texas. What's an ancillary component of college football that gets you almost as hyped up as the game itself? For me, it's uniform reveals and stadium renovations. Great question. Great way to end the show here. The first one, schedule releases and kickoff times. We're kind of in the middle of that right now. Not so much the schedule releases. If I am college football commissioner, as I have told you, I will overhaul the way scheduling in the sport works. We will do like the NFL. We will follow our professional brethren in the sense that right before spring practice, that's when we will announce your schedule. You will not know it before then. It's, it's completely ludicrous that some of you know who you're going to play in 2032. That's the first thing. Second thing, kickoff times, love it. Love it. It's like, it's, it's, like a, it, it's just intoxicating. When you are scrolling through Twitter and all of a sudden it's, you see Fox or ESPN or CBS, they have announced game times for certain matchups. That happened a lot this past week, and I love that. The second one is also happening around this time of year. When odds makers and sports books start putting out the early games of the year, spreads, and over-under win totals, you might as well take the day off work. I work in sports media, and I still consider taking the day off work when that happens. So that is a great time of year. And then I also love to watch the early action and to see who bumps up half a game or down half a game, which point spreads start moving early. The third one's going to surprise, I think, a lot of you. Preview magazine season is an ancillary component to college football that I love. I do not bet my life on what is written in those pages. And I certainly think that the medium has seen its better days because technology has allowed, you know, some of, some of the friends of this program that I talk about a lot more as the season gets closer to keep a real-time updated version of their college football magazine. You know, buying a physical magazine, once it goes off the printing press, it's done. Whereas if you got it digitally, you can update stuff every day. You know, quarterback goes down, your entire Big 12 power rankings go up in smoke. Well, not if you have it digitally, you can just update it. But it still means the exact same thing. It still gives me the exact same emotion inside to be walking up and down the aisle at Publix and all of a sudden, there's Lindy's, there's Anthlon. Is Phil, is that Phil? Phil Steele's here too? That is great. And, you know, I even go so far as to rank the best smelling magazines. Because the first thing I do, being the person I am when I get those magazines, is I flip through, and I, <sighs> no one's even cracked this open yet, that's great. Uh, the fourth thing, which is probably the stupidest thing that I'm into, is travel hype videos. No matter how many times your team goes on the road and your creative media department takes random videos of players walking into their hotel or getting on a bus or getting on a plane, if it's cleverly edited and it's got a good audio bed with it, I'm into it. I'm watching it from start to finish. So those are some things that I love to watch. Really good show tonight. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Have a great Memorial Day and just do me one favor and one favor only. Subscribe on whatever medium you watch or listen to the show on, or ideally, just do them all. Thank you so much. We really appreciate what you're doing for the show. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, 
For all of our production executives, I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great start to your week, and God bless. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.